Bucknutters. It is Sunday, November 7th, 2021. I am Dan Rubin. This is Almost Live, our in-season Sunday morning podcast. And I am joined, as always, by the people's champ, Matt Baxendale. Bax, the Buckeyes won again, 26-17 over the host Nebraska Huskers. How are you this fine morning? You know, I am just relieved after watching the games yesterday that, that we talk, um, we're talking about a win because uh, it might not have been pretty, but they got the job done. They certainly did. That is the style of Nebraska this year. They play everybody close, usually within a score. Your general vibes on the game as we get things rolling, our pregame conversation consisted of this. Maybe the Buckeyes are just good enough. You know, I think coming out of this game, you have to look at the big picture of what's going on in the country this year. And I think you also have to look at the big picture of what's going on with Nebraska. I went into this game knowing full well that every single one of Nebraska's losses was by eight points or less. And I figured Ohio State was going to come out, bounce back from the Penn State game and run them over. And to Nebraska's credit, Ohio State didn't. And it wasn't that OSU didn't have some success, but the Huskers were out there fighting. And really, I think Ohio State, you know, this is the sort of win that you, when you're on the road in front of 90,000 people against a team that's probably better than their record, certainly better than their record. Sometimes it's a hard game. And as we saw yesterday across the country, even sometimes you just got to win and move on. And Ohio State, to their credit, pulled it off. I think they tried their hardest not to. I think there were some very poor decisions made by mental errors and play calling. But at the end of the day, the Buckeyes did get the job done. And I think that's the biggest picture thing we have to remember. Uh, It also is the fact that when we're talking about a big 10, that's as good as it appears to be this year, maybe there aren't going to be many easy games like we sort of have expected in the past. And this is a great example of it. Nebraska is not going to a bowl game, but they would beat a lot of football teams, or at least they would lose by less than a field goal to a lot of football teams. Yeah, just to echo that sentiment, Nebraska is 3-7 and seven overall, 1-6 and six in conference. They just didn't play that way. I was actually kind of impressed. We should have recruited JoJo Doman. I know that. Good gracious. Number 13 on Nebraska was a man on a mission. However, let's talk about the quarterback, C.J. Stroud. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I can't tell without getting the All-22 whether he just wasn't super confident in anyone besides Jackson Smith and the Jigba. Or Nebraska had a good scheme. Your thoughts on the quarterback? I think that they were going for too much the whole time. Uh, when you ask him to r- throw the ball 54 times and we're only running at 30, you have a real problem. So they put too much weight on Stroud's shoulders. Uh, they kept trying to look for bigger plays whenever there was a lot of underneath routes that were available. And at the end of the day, I don't think Stroud looked super confident. And I think he made some poor decisions. And He looked like a guy making his eighth career start. And this year, at times, he's looked like he's been around for years and is a superstar, right? Every now and then, you're going to have games where quarterbacks don't look as good as they could look. And I think this is a great example of it. So, yeah, for, for CJ, 
it wasn't his best game. In fact, it might have been his worst game he's played so far this year. Um, he made some very bad decisions on a couple plays. But I also don't think he was put in a great position to succeed by asking him to throw twice as much as we ran the football. And normally, you know, Ryan Day is one of the best play callers we've ever seen. And this may have been the worst day of his play calling at Ohio State, in my opinion. There was a lot of examples of just hubris almost coming out where he had to continue passing instead of letting the run game work out the kinks, especially late in the game. So I don't put it all on CJ. He wasn't always going to be perfect. It's a good learning experience for him, but he definitely struggled for sure. Offensively, this is the second game in a row where the running game was mediocre at best. Travion Henderson, I'm starting to learn, is a tremendous running back. He does not have a ton of wiggle, meaning he's pretty much running in a straight line. So if the hole's there, he's going to take it. And the bigger the hole, he can fly through it. But it just did not seem like the running game could get on track. That's the second week in a row. Is that a reflection of playing against better defensive lines or just this offensive line struggled? It seemed like the guys on the inside really struggled for Ohio State. Yeah, the offensive line this game was not great. This isn't Penn State's defense they were playing against. This is a mediocre Nebraska defense against the run. They were in the middle of the Big Ten. They were barely on the edge of the top 50 in the country. It's sort of defense Ohio State should have run all over, and they didn't. Uh, now, at the end of the game, they started hitting some holes, and Ohio State didn't seem to have the confidence just to stick to the running game to get, to get, the, to get the win locked in, and they had that ridiculous fumble by Stroud that – Luke Whipler saved the game and maybe the season on recovering. But uh, I think that the, the interior line has to be better is the simple answer. I think Thayer Munford has struggled a lot more at guard than we expected. You know, he moved inside because they knew they had to get Thanos on the field. And at the end of the day, I don't think he's played up to the guard level we need. In fact, I can make an argument to you that we have guards that aren't starting right now that probably should be ahead of him like Matt Jones. Because Matt Jones, when we've seen him play guard, has been darn good. But they're not going to sit Munford when he came back for his senior year and captain and all that other stuff. So, But it, the reality is it's been a struggle for Munford this year, the guard. And Whipler's been good, not great, right? I think at times the, the Harry Miller we saw at times last year was definitely at a level above this. But the interior line has gotten pushed back too much. And – you know, there also wasn't – it doesn't seem like there's a lot of desire to go to the run game on Ryan Day's part. Maybe that's just me projecting, but I think he's one of those guys that his heart loves the, the fancy passing plays and all this other stuff. And, you know, at the end of the game, that last drive where they kicked the field goal, they had just ripped off two runs for 33 yards from Travion Henderson, another carry by Master Teague that picked up a first down, and they decide to have some ridiculous rollout where Stroud fumbles the ball whenever OSU was finally starting to move the ball downhill. Uh, I, Jim Tressel somewhere was throwing his glass of milk at that decision because OSU was beating them up finally on the ground. They were finally getting yardage on the ground. They got a third of their yardage in the game and three plays on the ground right there. And we went back to passing the football when if they had just ran the ball, all they needed was a first down to get the game over with and they were getting chunk yardage. So you can't go away from the run game that quickly. And I think Nebraska recognized that OSU went away from the run game that quickly and said, okay, we're going to pin our ears back and go after CJ. And then it made it harder on him because Nebraska wasn't really respecting the fact that OSU was running the ball. And then OSU 
until that last screen against Trevion Henderson that picked up 11 or 12 yards, the final offensive play of the game before the field goal. I don't remember them running a screen the rest of the game. These are things that if you're not running the ball, then you start need to start running these screen plays to slow down those edges. And OSU didn't do a lot of that. So this is a game where I think a lot of things offensively just were out of sync. And that goes to coach day's play calling too. You know, that was a rough game from him putting that much on CJ and not trying to give the running game an opportunity to get itself righted. And we were seeing a ton of three and outs in Nebraska constantly getting back on the field because the passing game was struggling. In my opinion, the best player on the offense was not in Lincoln, Nebraska, and that is Garrett Wilson. He was home with a mystifying injury. Jackson Smith Najigba just decided to eat up all those stats and put together a record-breaking performance. When he got that touchdown at 17-3, I thought we were off to the races. We can discuss the defense in a bit, but we do need to point out that Jackson Smith Najigba is very good when you throw him the football. Yeah, and everybody in the national pundits were talking about how OSU has two potential first-round receivers coming into the season. And I'm sitting there going, no, it's three. JSN's just a year behind the other two whenever he's going to hear his name called. Uh, 15 catches, I think it's an OSU record. He nearly set the yardage record as well. Uh, You know, he took advantage of his opportunity to play. That's for darn sure. Um, He's an elite-level receiver. This is the reason that, you know, you saw guys like Jamison Williams have to transfer playing time is that this guy, who's already been really good this year, came out and had this kind of an explosion of a day. I mean, it was, it was, it was a great day from JSN. And by the way, there's we should credit given to some of these other younger guys who got on the field too. Uh, that Julian Fleming catch that they did not give him was an incredibly good athletic play. I don't know what those referees were doing. He had the ball in one hand. He moved his one hand. Yeah. They just didn't. Yeah. They, I just think people don't grasp the fact that human beings have hands that good. I'm serious. He had the ball yeah. in his left hand. And if you watch, there's one angle when they come from the back where he's got his thumb across the ball. It's like those guys with hands like that, they put the ball in one hand, dude. And the refs just couldn't grasp that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a hundred percent what it was. He was not bobbling the ball period. He, he had that ball like locked to his hand. So our young receivers are super duper talented. I mean, I, I thought Marvin Harris. Yeah. He, he didn't have a great game. He didn't have a great game either. And the opportunities that came his way that while they weren't significant, you know, he didn't take advantage of them. But at the end of the day, JSN had one of the best days we're going to see from an OSU receiver ever. So he deserves a ton of credit for that. I mean, that was definitely a big bright spot for OSU. There's no doubt about that. Stroud got locked onto him at one point. And unfortunately, you know, it, it kind of, I think, limited Stroud's vision. But that's part of what happens with young quarterbacks whenever they have rough days is they find their security blankets and, you know, it's part of the development for Stroud. But JSN was great yesterday. There's no question about that. Player of the week on offense. What's incredible is you said they obviously have three first-round draft picks. This means that last year their top four were all first-round draft picks because Jamison Williams at Alabama, 10 catches for 160 yards and a touchdown yesterday. We'll get to Alabama. But that means all four guys back there were first-round draft picks and Good Lord, what can Julian Fleming and the rest of the guys do? But we digress. Let's talk about the defense. I think we need to stop and give credit to Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison. They've taken a lot of crap from a lot of us, and it took a while. But I think both of them are playing the best they ever have in their career. That two-minute stretch of Zach Harrison dominating is kind of what I expected to see from his entire career. But, you know, he's not a Bosa. He's not Chase Young. But – He is playing very, very well. And the defensive line, I think we have to give a ton of credit. They are right now getting to the quarterback better than anyone else in the nation. 
Yeah, I mean, they're the top five in sacks in the country after yesterday. This has been a D-line that's that's you've seen a very significant ramp up in prog- progress over the course of the year. I mean, remember at one point we were saying, man, it's like only the three freshmen are the only ones doing anything. And now you've got a whole bunch of guys. It's not just Smith and Harrison. I mean, Javante Jean-Baptiste was yeah. a lot better yesterday, and he's consistently gotten better too. You know, I mean, it's the point where we're wondering, like, should Tyleek Williams get more snaps? When he was at one point in time, maybe our best D lineman. So I think you've got a really deep D line that is getting it together. Um, And I also think that with the rest of the defense playing at a little bit higher level behind them, it also gives them that extra split second maybe to get to the quarterback versus just being close. That's part of this, too. They're all, you know, interconnected. But right now, Ohio State's defensive line is playing at an elite level. And if they continue this level of play, much less continue to get better like we've seen from them almost every week, then this is exactly what you need from your D-line heading into a closing stretch where you're probably playing three strength-rate teams. And if you beat those three straight-ranked teams, you're going to be in the Big Ten Championship against another ranked team in all likelihood. So Ohio State could be playing four straight weeks against ranked teams here. And you need a D-line that's at a dominant level and has the depth that OSU does to get through those kind of stretches if you want to win them all. Another great thing I saw about the defense that following his first half suspension, it does appear they've realized that Steel Chambers is arguably the best player on the defense right now. And I'm saying that maybe with slightly tongue inserted in cheek, but he was great. Here's my concern. They have guys in the secondary, especially at safety, and I'm not going to call anybody out by name, who just can't cover. So they go up 17-3, and they give up just a terrible touchdown. They made Samari Touré look like he transferred from Montana, and Montana is on, you know, Jupiter. So here's my theory. I think they need to go into the transfer market. If I were – I don't even know if this is legal. They need to go look at who's the best sophomore safety in the country and hope he's not playing at a Power 5 school and ask him if he wants to come here and start. They have real problems in the secondary. You cannot give up that many big plays. And I understand in the long run, Nebraska didn't make a ton of them. But at 17-3, that was the time you have to sack up and get a stop. And they just couldn't do it. Yeah, so I'll start with the positive. Steel Chambers is the, is the best linebacker on this team by a mile. He, and he was, again, incredible yesterday. He, he multiple times leveled a running back just put him on his ass on, on, I mean, knocked him backward, not dragged him down. Like you've been seeing for years from this sort of Namby Pamby thinking linebacker play. He decked the guy. He hits people like tough Borland, but has speed, right? I love steel chambers. And it's not because he had the pick at the end either. This is a guy who remember when he was at running back and we would all kind of groan when he got on the field and hold our breath and hoping he wouldn't fumble. And everybody's really frustrated about him. And now he's indispensable to this defense. He is an absolute missile out there on D. And this is this is the best linebacker on the team. He has to be on the field virtually every snap at this point. Like, un- unless he needs water or they give him a ridiculous targeting penalty again, keep him on the field. Um, as for the secondary, you were nice not to call out Lathan Ransom. Uh, but <laughs> the reality is there were some very bad plays yesterday. That long touchdown was inexcusable with the way that they lined up. He should have known that there was no safety help coming in that direction. And instead, he let himself get beat to the inside, and boom, you're gone. So at the end of the day, Ohio State hasn't given up a ton of big plays, but yesterday they did. And I will say this, the Ohio State defense 
which gave up less than 370 yards. It was an overall good day. Also got very fortunate that the Adrian Martinez effect was in full display yesterday. By that, I mean, this is a guy at Nebraska who you want me to want to ask me why Scott Frost's tenure has always been somewhat disappointing. It's because that guy's their quarterback. What he does is he will look like a world beater up and down the field. He'll, you, you'll have no way to tackle him. It'll look like Terrell Pryor running the ball. And then he'll miss an easy pass or he'll make a dumb mistake and throw an interception or whatever. And that last drive when they were driving and it was 23-17. And Nebraska, for the world of me, looked like they were going to go down and take the lead. And Martinez was running everywhere. And then he missed a wide open guy on third down that probably should have been a touchdown. And then Nebraska shanked a 28-yard field goal. I'm like, yep, that's the Adrian Martinez – experience in a nutshell and Ohio State got lucky that that guy seemed to be the most snake bitten quarterback in terms of getting results in terms of points on the board that I've maybe ever seen for a kid with this talent level so the defense definitely was better but they have work to do the secondary in particular was not their most shining star day but you know at the end of the day they still only gave up 17 points at 350 something yards so I'm not going to complain too loudly but the, it was definitely a step in the right direction. But now they have to get even better playing against much better competition the next couple of weeks, starting with the Purdue team, by the way, that thank God we're not going to West Lafayette. He threw the worst interception, but Marcus Williamson just didn't see the ball. The yeah. one that hit him in the face? Yeah, they showed the camera on Martinez. And, you know, when you have the quarterback cam on, he lets go of the ball and then he grabs his helmet with his hands like, holy crap, what have I done? You know that he has avoided misery. All right, we are going to put the Ohio State win in context from a national and conference perspective after we talk about what else went down, and we'll do that after the break. All right, we are back. If you're a real Ohio State fan and you remember the trip to West Lafayette, you knew Michigan State was going to lose, and they did. Number three, Michigan State goes down 40-29 to 29 at Purdue. Is Purdue the best team in the Big Ten right now? I don't want to play them, and unfortunately we have to. I mean, and the scary part is is that Purdue didn't just beat a top-five team at home this year. They also went on the road and beat, at the time, a top-five team in Iowa. So, you know, this is co- sort of one of those years where um, we had talked with, about Jeff Brown when he was hired there, and everybody thought, man, that guy coming from where he did could be a really good head coach if he gets his pieces. And Purdue has been just so injury – prone in the last couple of years that they've always sort of fallen into mediocrity, except when they played OSU, that one shining game, you know, they're tied for the big 10 West lead right now at four and two, they're six and three overall. They'll probably be ranked whenever the committee comes out with their oh, they'll rankings. Be ranked. They'll be ranked. Um, and David Bell might be the best wide receiver in the country, not wearing an OSU uniform or having previously worn an OSU uniform. So mm-hmm. this is a, this is a good Purdue team. Uh, they're a little scary, and this is a game that I'm going to be holding my breath over uh, over the course of the weekend for sure. It's, 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 it's not ideal, honestly, for Ohio State because then they have Michigan State and Michigan after that. So what we were hoping would be a mediocre, you know, four and eight Purdue team is turning out to be like a Purdue team that looks like it's going to win eight games at least. So, And by the way, this Purdue team is sitting there probably thinking if they can beat the Buckeyes – they only have, I think it's like Nebraska and Indiana left to finish their season. So they could be looking at nine and three in a Big Ten West championship if they can win this game. So they're going to be ready to go. They're going to believe in themselves. And OSU is going to have to bring it and perform at a much higher level. And by the way, that means they need to stick to the run game because Purdue can't stop the run either. 
they, they've been ran all over the last couple of weeks. So like even Michigan State yesterday ran for something like 180 yards on them. So Ohio State needs to not get stuck in this whole CJS to throw the ball 55 times a game mentality against Purdue because their defense isn't great. When uh, Wisconsin kicked their tails in a couple of weeks ago, they ran for 300 yards. So that needs to be the blueprint is run the ball. Don't let that offense get moving and, and kind of control the game. David Bell does scare me. I do like to follow players that Ohio State has offered and really likes and see when they go other places, how they fare, because it kind of is a reflection on how good Ohio State is recruiting. So obviously Ohio State knows what they're doing when it comes to receivers because David Bell is a load. I love Denzel Burke. There is no good matchup for Ohio State with David Bell. Let's know this going in. That's not a guy they can let beat them. Minnesota, in very Minnesota-like fashion, lets Illinois come in and win 14-6. I'm not sure that's noteworthy. Wisconsin crushes Rutgers. Rutgers is a lot worse than I expected. Penn State avoids upset at Maryland, 31-14. Iowa beat Northwestern, and Michigan held on to beat Indiana. All right, let's hit the national scene here and try and put Ohio State's playoff push in perspective. I said at the beginning of the show, is Ohio State good enough? So, Keep in mind, Ohio State is not competing against the Ohio State of last year. I think we can all agree that team was better. But there's no one else out there that's that much better either. There's only one team, to me, that has proven it is head and shoulders above everybody else. They're ranked number one. Georgia whacked Missouri 43-6. to Do you agree it's Georgia and everybody else? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The playoff committee, you know, the way that, that last night was looking at one point when – Oregon was losing and Bama was struggling at home and OSU and Cincinnati had had ugly games and you'd seen Michigan state and wake lose. Uh, at one point I was wondering, is the committee's top 10 going to be Georgia question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, right? Like it's such a, a, a year where there's Georgia's the best team right now. I don't think anybody can argue that. I'm not saying they're going to necessarily win the natty, but they've been the best team so far by a country mile and everybody else if you won yesterday, you were generally surviving yesterday among the top teams. A third of the top 25 lost yesterday. A third. So, it, yeah, at this point, it's it's definitely one of those years where there's a lot of teams right now that you never know what can happen, I guess, is the best way to put it, which is good when you're a team like OSU that maybe didn't look its prettiest yesterday, but is still right there. Wake Forest falls from the ranks of the unbeaten, loses to the fighting Mac Browns, 58-55. Cincinnati, 28, Tulsa, 20. This just makes Ohio State's win over Tulsa look better, don't you think? And I jest. Not to mention that Tulsa was trying to go in to tie the game at the end, and they fumbled. So this isn't a good win for Cincy. All of the questions the committee had about Cincy are exacerbated by this one. If anything, Oklahoma, who had the extreme good fortune this week of being on an off week, probably is going to pass them, is my guess. Notre Dame beats Navy 34-6. to Oklahoma State beats West Virginia 24-3. to Baylor loses at TCU. Auburn, Texas A&M, that's 20-3. Texas A&M is going to start to get a lot of love. They just got a commitment from Walter Nolan, the number one defensive player in the country, so Jimbo's hot. Alabama holds on to beat LSU 20 to 14 and hold on is accurate. Literally because they had to hold a couple LSU receivers down and bat down a hail Mary. That was only from 30 yards out at the last play of the game. Uh, If LSU had anything resembling offensive ability at their quarterback, they probably win that game. Uh, At one point they showed coach O on the sideline 
and he's telling his team they didn't come to play today. Like you could read his lips. They didn't come to play about Alabama, and it didn't look like Alabama came to play. You know, that's a that's not a good LSU team. It's an LSU team that just has been ugly at times this year. Their coaching staff already got fired, and they're playing out the string. And they probably should have beaten Alabama yesterday. So, you know, we want to talk about OSU ugly struggles. OSU went on the road and won by nine when they were a 15-point favorite. Uh, Meanwhile, Alabama was like a 30-point favorite at home or something like that, and they only won by six. So don't tell me that OSU struggled and Bama, you know, had a tough game. No, 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 no. If anything, Bama had a much worse relative showing than OSU did. So, uh, yeah, the Bama game was one of the ones yesterday where I was just like, wow, this yesterday's Saturday for as crazy as it was with two top 10 teams losing and eight top 25 teams losing could have been even crazier considering what happened with Bama and what was looking like could have happened with Oregon for a little while. The last result of the night, you mentioned it, Oregon defeated Washington on the road in the rain, 26-16. What do you make of the Ducks? The Ducks are lucky that Washington's coach is the stupidest coach in the country, um, to be blunt. the This game was 24-16, by the way, with a, like a minute or two minutes left. And Washington had the ball, and they had two drop passes on their first two downs and then an incompletion on third down. And, and so it's fourth down on like their own 15-yard line. They only had two timeouts left, and their coach decides to punt the ball instead of going for it like you would expect. So the football gods punished him by having the snapper snap the ball through the end zone. Uh, it was the most pathetic example I've seen of a white flag waving from a coach in a long time. And by the way, um, we don't pay attention to hot seats in the Pac-12 very much here in Ohio. But if you remember from all the Washington players that Ohio State has landed in recent years, they had a quarterback there by the name of Sam Heward, who was the number one or two country quarterback in the country last year. And Washington's quarterback isn't very good. And their fans were screaming for him again last night. They're four and five. They're not a good team. Why they aren't playing. The fans want to see this, you know, son of one of their former superstar quarterbacks. Uh, I don't, I honestly agree with them at this point. What do they have to lose? If they, their quarterback was not good and they still were in the middle of this game the whole time. I mean, again, this was a Washington was leading this game up until right before halftime when it was 10 to nine for Oregon and they just didn't have any offense. So Oregon continues to benefit from the fact that the PAC 12 absolutely stinks. And you know what? Ohio state's defense wasn't what it was when we played Oregon. If the Ohio state defense that played against Nebraska yesterday was playing against the Oregon that we saw yesterday, they would never have done that. This is going to be a tired refrain from us by the end of the year. Oregon just has to, (laughs) Oregon at some point is going to find itself losing to a bad Pac-12 team, and that's going to knock them out of things. I'm just not impressed with them. And it's just another example of how bad the Pac-12 is. Really, the Pac-12 and the ACC are both just awful conferences this year. Uh, You know, Wake Forest being undefeated says more about the state of the league than anything else. And then, of course, it was a classic 58-55 basketball win for North Carolina over Wake. So, You've got two bad leagues in the Power Five this year, and I don't know if the Big 12 is that much better. But at this point, if Oregon comes out of the Pac-12, it's solely because the rest of the league is bad because I don't think Oregon's a great football team at all. Yeah, Oregon has three games left. They host Washington State this weekend coming up. They'll win that game. Then they go to Utah. They're going to lose that game. Then they come home and face Oregon State. 
at that point in time, after they lost to Utah, that could be a letdown. But let's talk about the play. Oregon State beat them last year, too. I've been doing some statistical looks because this is the point in the season where I think the statistics for teams actually start to matter. So when you're looking at Ohio State's offensive numbers, you see Oregon State pop up there now and then. That is a good offense. So they'll have a chance to get Yeah, that's not a horrible football team. Yeah. But the other side of this is it tells you how bad the Pac-12 is if Oregon State is one of the better teams in the league. Typically when the Pac-12 is good, they're bad. Yeah, Utah's playing the best of anyone in the Pac-12 right now. So we'll stay tuned on that. All right, let's put it in context here. Number one in the playoff rankings, Georgia. Number two was Alabama. Number three was Michigan State. Number four was Oregon. Your Buckeyes were five. Tuesday night, give me the top four. Well, clearly Georgia's number one. After that, I'm going to go I'm going to go unorthodox here, Dan. I don't think it matters because Ohio State has had nothing change for them if they win and they're in. Right. Uh, I, I don't know if anything's going to change for Bama. I don't think that uh, obviously Michigan State's going to drop. So at this point, it'll probably be Alabama will be two. Three will probably be Oregon. Four will probably be OSU and probably Oklahoma will be five because Cincinnati's not moving up after that game. And then they'll probably trip Michigan State to six and keep Michigan at seven. That's kind of my guess right now. Um, or Michigan State to seven and uh, Michigan to eight. That's probably it. So it's just – it doesn't really matter right now. You win your last four games for Ohio State, and you are clearly, without a doubt, in the playoff. And at this point also it doesn't matter because Georgia's playing better than everybody else. So we'll have to see. But this is going to be a weird year for the committee because it kind of feels like if Alabama wins out and then loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, they might still make it with two losses because who the heck else is there? It's just a goofy year. I don't know. It's one of those years where this may be a great year to look by when it's all said and done and say, man, I wish we still had the BCS because this probably would just be Georgia and Ohio State is the only two teams standing there if OSU wins out and Bama loses another game and Oregon loses another game. It would be a classic BCS year where you have – two power five teams that are pretty strong and then a non-power five team in Cincy that'll complain that you got left out and that's it. So we'll see. Uh, there's also a scenario here where Oklahoma continues to inexplicably win and you have Georgia in the playoff in Ohio state with Oklahoma and, or and, and uh, Oregon in it. And that would be two blowouts before you get to the OSU versus Georgia game where who knows what would happen. OSU's offensive line in the interior needs to get a lot better if we're going to play the Bulldogs. I'll tell you that much. I think you pretty much wrapped it up there. We appreciate everybody stopping by. Have a good one, Bucknutters.